Welcome to Integrative Medicine Solutions with Forum Health, the podcast. Our nationwide network of integrative and functional medicine providers believe in a new standard of healthcare, one that creates optimal health by focusing on partnering with you, understanding your needs, learning about your unique health history, and getting to the root cause of your concerns. Using advanced testing, emerging therapies, and the latest technology, Forum Health providers are at the forefront of integrative and functional health care for all. Your journey to better health starts here. So we're talking about food additives. The first one we're talking about is monosodium glutamate. And if you've noticed in my classes, I usually put the most important or the most severe or the, you know, the most obvious things first, and we work our way from there. So we talk about MSG because it's in almost everything that's processed um, and in a lot of restaurant foods. MSG is an excitotoxin that can cross the blood-brain barrier. So an excitotoxin um, floods the brain cells with calcium and they die. If you flood a brain cell with too much calcium, they will die. There's other ways that you can do that, but MSG does it. It turns into um, glutamic acid, which um, crosses into the brain, and it behaves like a neurotransmitter. So it starts giving your brain cells instructions that override the instructions that your actual neurotransmitters would want uh, would want the brain to listen to. So um, we the damage from MSG is cumulative. It builds over time. And the more you take, the worse it is. We use MSG in clinical research to make rats fat for fat rat studies. Um, works very well. Just add the MSG to their food. Um, interestingly, humans are five times more sensitive to the effect of MSG than rats. Five times more sensitive. And on top of that, infants and children are four times more sensitive than human adults. Anybody good at math? How many times is that? 20. So um, it is really bad for children. And that makes sense because in children, the brain is still developing. The nervous system is still developing. And those cells are more sensitive to permanent damage, uh, to things that we can't overcome. It's also an endocrine disruptor. Um, so it disrupts hypothalamus function. Who remembers what the hypothalamus does? Uh, is it like your thermostat? It's your thermostat. It's the um, organ in the brain that tells all the endocrine organs what to do, and what hormones to make, and when to make them. Um, and MSG disrupts normal hypothalamus uh, signaling. So it disrupts normal uh, hormone function and normal hormone production. And obviously children are going to be more sensitive that, to that than adults because their endocrine organs are still developing. So abnormal endocrine uh, signaling is gonna, have, is gonna have a detrimental effect on children. Um, as, I, as I mentioned earlier, um, MSG is associated with seizures. If um, we give relatively high amounts to rats, we can cause seizures, but we've also seen seizures in children um, we've seen behavioral issues, learning disorders, addictive behaviors, um, <clears throat> emotional issues, all kinds of um, alterations in growth patterns and behavioral patterns. So it is not a good substance to consume. Is, is it listed as any other name, like on a label? Um, I think the answer to that is yes. Okay. But I can't remember what it is. It, has it been banned from? No. 
children's food and all, you know, it's, it's, it's what you say, infant's food? Uh, it's not in formula. Well, you know, how about some of those? Yeah, like the fruit cake. Yeah. I guarantee you it's in like the, you know, the puffs, like the little puffs that they make. Um, the little grain, you know, like that are soft and they can chew on them. I'm sure, I'm sure it's in that. So, um, glutamic acid is another way of saying it. Um, monosodium salt. Monosodium L-glutamate. Sodium glutamate. L-glutamic acid. So, you're looking for the glutamate. Um, or the monosodium uh, monohydrate. It's 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 one or the other is in every name. So that's what you're looking for. Um, and you know, as we mentioned, MSG is an appetite stimulating food. So um, on top of disrupting your hormones and damaging your brain, it will also force you to eat far more than you would have normally eaten, which is why it's in all the Chinese buffet foods, right? Or in the Chinese foods. <laughs> the second substance that I wanna talk about is xenoestrogens. Um, xenoestrogens are compounds that behave like estrogen in the body, but are not estrogen. They just mimic um, estrogen activity. Uh, consumption of xenoestrogens causes a wide variety of issues, which makes sense if you just think about it. If you think about babies who are consuming estrogenic compounds, what's going to happen to their um, endocrine patterns and their puberty and their fertility, right? So when we started adding xenoestrogens into not only the food supply, but also the bottling industry, the Tupperware industry, right? When we started using a lot of plastics, um, we saw changes in puberty patterns, right? How old were women when they got their periods in your generation? Well, 14. It used to be 14. Yeah. Then it went to 12. Then it went to 11. And now it's down to eight and nine because we're feeding them estrogens and estrogens stimulate um, that process. Unfortunately, it's not normal menstrual patterns that they get. They they're more likely to have endometriosis and fibroids and infertility and all kinds of issues because of the um, endocrine disruption. So um, xenoestrogens also lead to obesity, especially in men because men need very little estrogen. They need a little bit, but they, they do not need xenoestrogens. It leads to low testosterone. 11 years ago, I think 11, don't quote me on that. Um, about 11 years ago, the um, lab range for testosterone was changed to reflect a 20% drop in the average testosterone level for the American man. Now, instead of recognizing that testosterone had dropped and that was a problem, we just moved the bar, just push the bar down. Um, and I expect that that will happen again probably in the next 10 to 15 years. Um, so causes low testosterone, which um, causes growth abnormalities in children who are still developing, children and adolescents, causes low sperm count, male infertility, 
erectile dysfunction. Um, testosterone is responsible for muscle building potential um, for brain function. So definitely not, not good. What about puberty for boys? Has that changed? Puberty for boys has, um, what's happened to boys is that the average penile length has shrunk mm -hmm. and the average fertility rate for men has dropped significantly. And their body shape um, on average became more feminine. So in, in men, we're seeing more like broad hips where men are supposed to be broad shoulder. Um, and that that's a feminization problem, basically. And we've seen a lot of that. It gets worse and worse. Um, it can also lead to prostate cancer, breast cancer, uterine cancer, um, testicular cancer. Basically, any organ that has an estrogen receptor is going to be affected by xenoestrogens. But it's going to be affected in abnormal ways because it's not human estrogen, right? So it's doing things that, that human estrogen would never do. Um, we talked about puberty changes. It's also linked to diabetes, miscarriages, and infertility. And the number of miscarriages and the rate of infertility has um, truly become outrageous, um, especially in the last year. The, the studies worldwide have shown dramatic decreases in fertility and birth rates. <clears throat> We're not birthing enough babies at this point to replace our population. Uh, so xenoestrogens in a ton of places. Um, pesticides are one of our biggest exposures. So glyphosate um, behaves like a xenoestrogen roundup. Um, several of the pesticides do. So uh, non-organic fruits and veggies. If you've never seen the clean 15 dirty dozen list, mm -hmm. I recommend that you look at that. The Clean 15 Dirty Dozen comes from the Environmental Working Group, um, and they research how many, how much measurable pesticide there is left in fruits and veggies to tell you which ones you should only do organic and which ones you can do non-organic because they have fairly low levels. Um, xenoestrogens are in plastics, so baby bottles, baby nipples, um, plastic bottles, Tupperware. The worst thing you could ever do to plastic is to heat it. Uh, when you heat it, it leaches the xenoestrogens a lot faster. So if you remember four, three or four years ago, there was a study that came out that said letting your water bottle sit in the car caused breast cancer. Yeah, um, it, it is linked to much higher amounts of xenoestrogens in the water that you're drinking. Um, so you definitely don't want to heat it. Don't heat baby bottles. Don't heat Tupperware. Don't heat um, water bottles. Yeah, don't leave them sitting outside. Uh, it's also in styrofoam. And what do we do? We pour coffee in styrofoam, right? And then we drink the coffee. Um, so glass, stainless steel, you know, stick to the real the real stuff. Red food dye is also a xenoestrogen all by itself, um, which is why several countries have banned red dye number 40, including Italy. Um, it's also in parabens and phthalates. If you use many, um, many personal products, you know, lotions and um, shampoos and makeups, et cetera, you might see that now you can get some that are free of parabens and phthalates. 
That's because those are xenoestrogens and they do absorb through the skin. If I want to give a woman um, hormone replacement therapy, I put estrogen on her skin. She absorbs it. Her symptoms get better. If you put xenoestrogens on your skin, you'll absorb it and you'll, it won't be good. Um, it's also in flame retardants. Um, guess what we put flame retardants on? Pajamas. Baby's pajamas. Yeah. Oh. Children's pajamas. We also put it on uh, upholstered furniture um, to reduce the risk of, you know, infernos and house fires. Mattresses. Mattresses. Yeah. 80% of all cattle in feedlots are given hormones, particularly bovine growth hormone. And bovine growth hormone stimulates very high levels of hormones in the animals intentionally, uh, better fertility, better milk, better meat production. The problem is that um, those very high levels of hormones are still present when we consume the products. So um, when, when cows are given bovine growth hormone, they get a seven to 20 time bump in their hormone uh, production, seven to 20 times. We, not only do we find it in the milk, not only can we find it in the meat, but we also find it in the soil where they urinate, right? Confined, they're all urinating in one place. And that makes it to the groundwater and the creeks and the rivers. And this is where we see amphibians changing, right? In these areas around feedlots. But what water do we drink? We drink groundwater, right? So anything you put on the ground will filter down through the soil and end up in the groundwater. So there is a lot of xenoestrogen exposure just in groundwater because it's not added there intentionally but it gets there um, and the closer you are to a commercial feedlot, obviously the higher your risk would be. Um, and we talk- What is the move? What is bovine? What is that? Mean? That means cow. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. So um, not only do we drink the water, uh, but we also irrigate our plants with the water. So uh, lots of it going around. We talked about reproductive capacity of the aquatic animals. We give um, our animals antibiotics too, right? Um, antibiotics in the chicken industry are used because it makes them get fat faster. They get plump. Uh, if you remember a few weeks ago, I told you that two rounds of antibiotics before the age of two doubled your risk for obesity. So different in chickens. They just grow a lot faster. Um, so low chronic dosing of antibiotics is used to stimulate growth, but also to, you know, just prevent diseases because they live so close together. But those antibiotics then end up in the meat and cause changes in human health. So for example, in 1990, we had basically no cases of drug resistant Campylobacter. Campylobacter is the food poisoning that you can get from raw eggs. Had it once, it was horrible. Um, in 1996, they started to use Cipro, which is a treatment for Campylobacter in poultry, um, chronic low-level dosing of Cipro. In 2001, um, all 16 strains of Campylobacter found in Brazil were Cipro resistant, and the worldwide Cipro resistant for Campylobacter rose to 20%. 
and all we did was add it to the meat. So if people tell you that there's not gonna be hormones or antibiotics in the meat when you consume it, I'm sorry, they're wrong. <laughs> it's not gonna be nearly as much as would have been in the bloodstream, but the bloodstream goes to the muscle and so do the compounds. Um, what do antibiotics do that would cause weight gain? Anybody remember? They trash the gut. Mm -hmm. They trash the microbiome. And the microbiome plays a big role in number one, inflammation. Inflammation plays a big role in obesity. But also your my microbiome changes how fast you pull sugar from food. So it changes the glycemic index of the things that you eat. So uh, yeah, it destroys our gut microbiome. And heavens, we've got enough of that going on. Let's talk about the artificial sweeteners. Saccharin. Let me start with saccharin. So um, saccharin is, what is that? That is that the pink stuff or the blue stuff? <laughs> saccharin is sweet and low. Sweet low? sweet and low is blue or pink? Sweet and low is pink. Pink? Okay. Um, <laughs> saccharin is a sulfonamide. And you asked me um, last week if you could be allergic to sulfur. And I told you you could be allergic to sulfa. Saccharin is a sulfa drug. It's a sulfonamide, which is um, actually a, a really, there's a really high level of allergy to sulfonamides. Um, and the problem is that no company that makes saccharin announces that it's a sulfonamide, which means people consume it and they don't know. Uh, but saccharin has a lot of detrimental effects. One, we know that it causes bladder cancer. Uh, it also damages your microbiome. Um, and we've talked about that, right? And the risk for obesity. It, um, it increases intestinal permeability, which we haven't talked about yet, but intestinal permeability allows your immune system to be exposed to things it shouldn't see. And you get lots of inflammation as a consequence. Um, saccharin has been linked to all kinds of reports to the FDA, um, rashes, skin problems, uh, cancer, all manner of things. If, um, if we want to, well, I'll, I'll say that until we talk about aspartame. Let's talk about aspartame. So I think aspartame was the first, wasn't it? In the aspartame, the first because it was it was the original. So it was the original. Aspartame in high school. Yeah, I remember. I mean, Michael J. Fox and Diet Pepsi, that was aspartame, mm -hmm. and that was sort of the beginning of the craze. Saccharin was out. I remember yeah. my uncles. Yeah, and they were ancient oh, then. Like, yeah, I don't know. I I don't know which one is like which one came first. Because I think my dad used to drink saccharin. But aspartame is by far the worst. Um, aspartame has had more complaints to the FDA than any other food additive combined. Um, nasty, nasty product. Aspartame is um, made up of aspartate, phenylalanine, and methanol. You don't have to remember those things. But who knows what methanol is? It's the kind of alcohol that you can't drink, right? It's that's right. It's wood alcohol. 
this is what the people drank during prohibition and they got Jake leg and paralysis and they died. Um, methanol, when you break it down in the body, becomes formaldehyde. So aspartame becomes formaldehyde. And the more of it you consume, the higher the levels will go. And formaldehyde takes a while to detox from the body. Aspartame also crosses the blood-brain barrier. Um, when you break it down, it, it becomes aspartic acid, and it can do the same thing that glutamic acid can do, and it can go talk to your brain cells and tell them what to do, which is why aspartame has very high rates of um, reports of migraines, seizure activity, neurological problems, mood disturbances, um, insomnia, all kinds of brain-related um, things because it it does the same thing that glutamic acid does. It um, overstimulates calcium influx into the brain cells and it kills them. I have seen on MRI um, brain cell death from heavy consumption of aspartame. Um, my mother is one of them. So on the MRI, you have these um, widely scattered little spots where there's a bunch, where's there, where there are calcified brain brain cells that don't do anything. Um, not good, not good for the brain. Uh, it does get a little bit better when you come off aspartame, but she was a tab addict. You guys remember tab back in the day? Yeah. I think it was, yeah, yeah. I think it was. Uh, there is a cumulative effect with aspartame as there would be with anything that crosses into the brain. Um, so the more you consume, the worse it gets. What did Michael Jackson end up with from his Pepsi addiction? Parkinson's. Yeah. Um, linked to Parkinson's disease, also linked to um, Lou Gehrig's disease or ALS, linked to MS. My aunt was a tab addict and she had multiple sclerosis. Linked to Alzheimer's, dementia, brain lesions, endocrine disruption, um, all kinds of stuff. The uh, phenylalanine, that's the second component of the drug, can depress the brain's production of serotonin. So it can lead to depression, apathy, flat feelings, um, because it, it disrupts serotonin production. And serotonin is also associated with some memory, so memory issues. We talked about the formaldehyde. Um, so 200 milligrams of aspartame, which is a 12 ounce diet soda, gives you 20 milligrams of um, methanol. Remember methanol becomes formaldehyde. Uh, there is no safe level of formaldehyde to have in the bloodstream. Uh, we don't have a level that we say it's safe to have in the bloodstream because it shouldn't be. Um, but 20 milligrams of methanol is quite a high dose. And most people don't have just 12 ounces of diet soda a day, right? They have three, four, five drinks in a day. It's very, very addictive. Um, very addictive. Anything that changes the way your brain chemistry works is physically addictive. So if I start taking a substance that changes, let's say it increases the amount of serotonin that my brain is producing. The first thing my brain is going to do is turn down serotonin receptors to try to restore balance, to put it back the way that it was. If I continue to take that drug, uh, the brain will get used to having these receptors off and and the serotonin production being stimulated by the drug. If I stop the drug, I will have no serotonin production because the brain wasn't responsible for it. I'll also have no serotonin receptors. 
That's where withdrawal symptoms from coming off uh, antidepressants come from. It takes months for your brain to turn back on those receptors and start stimulating production on its own. So if I take something that goes into my brain and changes the chemistry, I, I will become dependent on that. Meaning if I stop it, I feel bad. And I don't know if you've ever seen anybody go through diet soda withdrawal, but it's not, not, it's not pleasant. It's very unpleasant. Um, so anything that changes brain chemistry can be addictive and, um, or, or you can develop a dependence. Um, we did some studies on aspartame that showed aspartame increases your appetite. It causes weight gain. It's associated with obesity in children. Um, again, very disruptive to the microbiome. It doesn't raise your blood sugar, but that didn't mean it was better for you. <laughs> didn't mean it was better for you. Um, we did a 25 year study uh, that showed every daily serving of diet soda was a 65% greater risk of becoming overweight in five years and a 45% increased risk of becoming obese. So that's a serious risk. That's a serious risk. Um, aspartame and saccharin cause more weight gain than sugar, even when the total caloric intake was the same. So you should have just had sugar. Tastes better. <laughs> In 2014, we did a study on aspartame that showed that the hemoglobin A1C, hemoglobin A1C is a three-month average of your blood sugar. That's how we diagnose and track diabetes. Um, hemoglobin A1C was higher in those with a high consumption of artificial sweeteners compared to those who were consuming sugar. Seven healthy volunteers were given 10 to 12 doses of aspartame per day for one week. Four out of the seven had glucose levels in the pre-diabetic range at the end of the week. Um, they took stool specimens to look at gut bacterial changes. And obviously it was completely different, completely different in a week. That's incredible. Gotta talk about sucralose. That's Splenda. The old tagline for sucralose was, it's made from sugar, so it tastes yeah. like sugar and you can bake with it too. <laughs> when you heat sucralose, it becomes dioxin. Dioxin is a very potent carcinogen that we know is associated with many types of cancer. So no, you really can't cook with it. Um, if you heat it, it produces dioxin um, and, and it becomes carcinogenic. The other problem is that the way that they made sucralose is they took the sugar molecule and they took a couple of um, things off and they added chlorine in its place. What does chlorine do? What do we use chlorine for? Disinfectants. That's right. So we changed the sugar to be chlorinated. And with the addition of the chlorine, the sugar couldn't get into the bloodstream anymore, but it could take chlorine from the, my mouth all the way through my GI tract, right? Where all my beautiful bacteria are. So sucralose has a very detrimental effect on the microbiome because it is literally chlorinated. That's how they made it. Um, sucralose um, not only um, decreases good, good gut bacteria, 
but it also stimulates prediabetes and diabetes. So um, an oral glucose tolerance test, if any of you have had babies, um, you know, the crap you have to drink and you get your blood sugar checked. Uh, they did an oral glucose tolerance test um, comparing the orange stuff, the oral glucose, to sucralose. The sucralose group had higher blood sugar peaks, higher insulin peaks, lo longer elevations in glucose and insulin than the people who drank the glucose. And this is what we're going to replace our sugar with, mm -hmm. sucralose. Um, sucralose is also stored in fat cells. Um, mammals store toxins in fat cells to protect themselves. That's what, that's part of what the liver does to protect you. Um, which is one way that people become overweight and obese. Um, if they have a lot of toxin exposure and they have to make a lot of, um, a lot of fat cells to protect themselves from that. That's a contributing factor. Um, I've, I've seen a fibromyalgia like reaction to detoxing from sucralose. Um, because when you start detoxing, when you stop consuming it, the fat cells start to break open and release it so you can get rid of it. But now you have this flood of sucralose again. Um, so I, that, you know, lasts a couple of weeks maybe, but it's not pleasant. Um, the side effects of, of sucralose other than weight gain, insulin resistance, and diabetes is also associated with, um, seizures, dizziness, migraines, and blurred vision. So that would be a big old fat no. Let's talk about high fructose corn syrup. What's high fructose corn syrup in? Everything. Everything. <laughs> right by the MSG. High fructose corn syrup um fructose is a little bit different from glucose and sucrose glucose and sucrose will are absorbed across the small intestine and they go straight to the bloodstream fructose does not fructose has to take a ride through the portal vein into the liver and be turned into glucose and sucrose and then it can be released into the bloodstream so if you consume something that has fructose in it there's going to be a delayed uh, release of glucose into your bloodstream, and it takes hours. Um, it can take six to eight hours to break down high fructose corn syrup, which means you ate once, but you kept dumping sugar into the bloodstream for hours. And this is why high fructose corn syrup is so much worse than just fructose, right? It's not fructose. It is very difficult for the liver to break down and it basically gives you a steady stream of sugar jumping into the bloodstream all day long, which of course means the, pan the pancreas has to make insulin um, and the insulin is trying to put it away, but it's also storing fat at all the time, right? So you remember when we talked about the rules uh, to lose weight and balance leptin and ghrelin and insulin, the rule was that you needed an equal amount of time in fat burning and fat storing. And then you needed your whole 12 hours at night to fat burn. Well, if you had high fructose corn syrup, there will be no break in which you could exercise and burn fat because you'll be dumping sugar all day. Um, so just say no to high fructose corn syrup. 
Uh, it increases triglycerides because triglycerides are the fat storage form of sugar. So if you've got sugar dumping into the bloodstream, then of course you're gonna have to make triglycerides to go store it as fat. Um, obviously it's associated with obesity, fatty liver disease, hypertension, gout, metabolic syndrome, diabetes, et cetera. Trans fats. Trans fats do not exist in nature. We make these in a chemical lab. Uh, we make them in a chemical lab by taking a liquid um, oil and turning it into a, um, a fat that's solid at room, at room temperature. Um, basically, it's one molecule away from, um, from plastic. Uh, trans fats damage your blood vessel wall. So you remember when we talked about cardiovascular disease, cholesterol, you had to damage the blood vessel before you could lay cholesterol down in it. Trans fats are a very, very good way to do that. Um, associated with a 40% increased risk of diabetes um, because it causes insulin resistance and abdominal obesity, very tightly connected to breast cancer and other types of cancer, increases your LDL particle number, um, high, highly inflammatory substance. In 1993, they did a study on 75,000 women and found that, um, those that consumed margarine, four teaspoons of margarine per day, had a 65% increased risk of cardiovascular disease compared to women who had four teaspoons of butter every day um, at a 1.5 times higher mortality rate. And remember, trans fats are gonna be in um, shelf-stable foods. That's why we do it, to make them shelf-stable because oils go rancid. So your cereals and your crackers and your cookies and your donuts and um, commercially prepared foods, that's where the trans fats are. But are they a sugar? No, it's a fat, it's a trans fat. And um, the FDA requires labeling of a substance that has trans fat in it, but it only requires labeling if it's greater than 0.5 milligrams per serving. So lots of food companies just decreased the serving size so that they didn't have to put that on there. Um, so the label's not gonna say, has trans fats. Um, you have to look in the ingredient list and look for anything that says hydrogenated or partially hydrogenated. That's where you'll find the trans fats. Food dyes. Food dyes are made from petroleum. Do you know that? Doesn't sound like something we should consume. No. Um, red number 40, yellow number five, and yellow number six contain benzene, which is a petrochemical and a known carcinogen. Most countries have banned these three, red 40, yellow five, yellow six. Um, but not the United States. Studies show an association between food dyes and hyperactivity, ADHD, um, behavioral changes, and endocrine disruption. Remember, the dyes were on the xenoestrogen list. 70, uh, one study showed a 75% improvement in behavioral issues just by removing the food dyes in children. Um, food dyes, 
can be in white foods. So if you're trying to avoid food dyes, don't fall for it's white so it doesn't have food dyes. They put blue um, like marshmallows and cake icing, not that you're going to eat those, but um, some food dyes you can't see. So read labels. What about nitrites and nitrates? Anybody heard of those? Yeah. These were in the news several years ago. I love how things come out in the news and we're like, oh, for a whole week, nitrates, don't eat hot dogs. And then we never talk about it again. <laughs> we just move on. Something else to talk about on the news. Got to have the next dramatic thing. Nitrites and nitrates are added to processed foods um, to preserve the color, to process meats, to preserve the color. So if you want your bacon to stay pink and not turn a weird brown color, they add nitrites for that. Um, the problem is that when you consume nitrites, it gets converted into nitrosamines in the body, which are very carcinogenic. So nitrates are associated with um, cancer. Uh, in my graduating class, we had a ridiculously high number of people with colon cancer, many who died um, already. And um, this one particular girl, I went to church with her. And so I spent time at her family's house. Her family was poor and they ate the only meat they consumed was processed, spam, vienna sausages, that kind of stuff. Uh, she developed colon cancer. Um, how was she? She was 29 or 30. And by the time it was diagnosed, it was already in the liver. She already had liver metastases. She didn't, she didn't survive. But I strongly believe that the daily consumption of processed meats is one of the reasons why that happened. And I did sort of a unofficial study of the people that I went to high school with because you know you just text them email Facebook them just ask questions I went to this church with another um guy who ended up with colon cancer in my graduating class he only liked to eat hot dogs and um sandwich meat and like he that's what he liked those are the things that he ate there are certainly other contributing factors but this is definitely one of them um, so nitrites are, um, are not good for consumption. You, there are naturally occurring nitrates with an A, um, but they're in foods that also contain the vitamin C that you need to prevent nitrosamine production. So if you want um, processed meats, then get the kind that used celery juice instead of nitrite. So celery juice has naturally occurring nitrates, but it also has vitamin C and that blocks nitrosamine production. So if you if you do process meats, lunch meats, hot dogs, that kind of thing, um, look for the nitrite free. Um, the Simple Truth brand, the um, Applewood brand, there, you know, there's several out there that, that uh, it's more and more. Money talks. So as people make different purchasing decisions, mm -hmm. we get more and more products to consume, which is really nice. Um, you may see BHA, BHT quite a bit if you read labels. BHA, BHT is a preservative um, that we use in, I've seen it in cake icings, I've seen it in cake powders. So it must be used for things that need to be shelf stable for a long time. 
uh, BHA and BHT are, um, are both xenoestrogens and carcinogenic. So you would want to really limit, um, limit your exposure. Bromine. Bromine is a halogen. The other halogens are iodine, fluoride, and chlorine. In the human body, we have iodine receptors. We have no purpose for chlorine, fluoride, or bromine. It's not used for anything in the body. We have iodine receptors. But unfortunately, the halogens are so similar that bromine, fluoride, and chlorine can unseat iodine and take up an iodine receptor. Iodine is used for thyroid um, thyroid building, cellular repair, right? Your, your thyroid is 47% iodine. It's used for conversion of your thyroid hormones. It's used for breast health. The breasts have the second most iodine in the body. Um, the ovaries use some iodine. The uterus uses some iodine. Um, iodine is, is very important. We must, we must have iodine. The problem is we don't have iodine exposure anymore. We have bromine, fluoride, and chlorine exposure. So getting iodine in in high enough quantities to unseat these guys and let the iodine get back to the receptor takes some work. Um, it takes some, some forethought. So bromine, our biggest exposure to bromine, I mean, bromine is used in hot tubs and, you know, it, it's used in other ways. But the biggest exposure for Americans is that they they use it in um, breads. They use it in the production of shelf-stable bread products because it, it provides a nice, consistent color that doesn't fade or change. So our bread is brominated. 50 years ago, our bread was iodinated, not brominated. I went to see an endocrinologist once because my thyroid was not well regulated and I wanted to try a different approach. And um, I asked him about iodine. Should I take iodine? Can I take iodine? What do you think about iodine? And he said, you eat bread, don't you? Well, no, I didn't eat bread actually, but it wouldn't have made a difference because iodine was taken out 50 years ago. <laughs> we haven't iodinated bread in decades. That's how far behind these guys are. <laughs> So 50 years ago, one slice of bread gave you 150 micrograms of iodine, um, which is almost the, the daily dose of a supplement that I would give you. It's a, it's a pretty high dose. So people got it even if they didn't eat sea vegetables and seafood, which was helpful. When they took it out of the bread, they put it in the salt, right? We have iodized salt. The problem with iodized salt is that once you open the canister, the iodine starts to evaporate. And by the time you get halfway through the bottle, it's not iodinated anymore because it's not stable. It just won't, it won't stay like that. So we can't possibly, you would have to eat boxes and boxes of salt to get the iodine that you need. Um, meanwhile, you're getting these other three all the time. And we wonder why thyroid disease is one in eight, um, one in eight diagnosed Americans. I would say it's a lot higher than that because many people go undiagnosed. So um, when you unseat your iodine and you let bromine, fluoride, or chlorine sit at those receptors, it can cause thyroid cancer, it can cause uterine breast cancer, um, it can um, cause
cause uterine fibroids. Iodine deficiency is um, associated with uterine fibroids pretty closely. Fibrocystic breast changes um, and female cancers, which we talked about. It's illegal to use bromine in China. Let that sink in. The European Union, Canada, Brazil, Argentina, South Korea, Nigeria, Peru, and Sri Lanka. But not here. Not here. Um, oh, here's the number. It would take 168 grams of iodized salt to get the RDA of iodine in a day. In a day. If it still had it in. If it still had it in, yeah. right. You have to open a new box yeah. and get 168 grams. 168 grams is a lot. I mean, you just have to eat the salt. Um, so um, we talked about fluoride and chlorine. Chlorine is in sucralose, so it is it is in food, but these are more like water um, in the water and the toothpaste and um, in those kinds of products. And bromine is in the bread and in hot tubs. It's used in hot tubs instead of chlorine. That's why hot tubs smell different. Um, so there's definitely exposure. Um, you can limit your exposure by changing your products, by filtering your water, um, by not eating bread, because we stop that anyway. Um, and I, you know, limit your time in hot tubs if you if you have thyroid issue. Also, um, you should supplement with iodine. I don't know anybody that shouldn't be supplementing with some level of iodine. Of course, that level is dependent on who you are and what your problems are. But there, there just is no way to get enough iodine to compete with all the other halogens that we're exposed to on a daily basis. <clears throat> all right, GMOs. What does that stand for? Genetically modified organisms. That's right. So uh, GMOs are made by inserting a non-plant gene into plants. So an animal, usually insect gene. Um, taking a, a gene from an organism um, and putting it into the plant. It's not the same as uh, hybridizing. It's not the same as selective breeding. Those are completely different processes that we've been using for thousands of years. Um, this is actual genetic modification of the structure and makeup of the plant. So um, GMO corn, which is more than 98% of all the corn in the United States, and cotton, they took a, a gene from a bacteria called Bacillus thuringiensis, and they inserted it into the plants because the bacteria makes a toxin called Bt toxin. And Bt toxin kills insects. That's why the bacteria makes it. So once it was modified, every cell in the corn makes Bt toxin. So that theoretically limits pest um, consumption of the crops, right? Um, it destroys it kills insects by exploding their guts, basically. That's how that works. Um, we don't have the enzyme in our body that would allow Bt toxin to do that to us, but our gut microbiota does. The um, bacteria in our, in our GI tract can be destroyed and killed by Bt toxin. Um, Bt toxin is um, probably one of the nastiest things that's ever been done to us without our permission. 
the rate of autism, if you track it along the course of genetically modified foods, outrageous, outrageous increases. Um, but you know, autism starts in the gut um, and spreads to the brain. So if you destroy a gut, then the brain will be on fire. That's how it works. Um, the, the problem with, well, let's talk about the Roundup Ready crops. So these are BT toxin. And I'm sure there's more now that I don't know about. And then you have Roundup Ready. Oh, this sounds fun. Roundup Ready. So this is soy, sugar beet, canola, and there was something else. Oh, I forgot about golden rice. Anybody ever heard of golden rice? Mm -hmm. um, they, they genetically modified rice to have very high levels of vitamin A, so it turned gold. And that was for poor countries, right? They were gonna, um, uh, but it was also a BT toxin producer and um, they don't use golden rice anymore because it didn't it didn't do very well. It didn't treat populations very well. It didn't grow very well. Um, is there another one? It seems like there was another one. Canola. Okay, potatoes and papayas are genetically modified in another way. So Roundup Ready plants, uh, were inserted with a gene from argobacteria to make them resistant to the effect of glyphosate so that you could indiscriminately apply glyphosate without killing your plants. So, of course, the, um, the outcome was that our exposure to Roundup went up because they could use a lot more of the product. Um, it also changed the soil. Remember we talked about it killed good bacteria in the soil. It allowed more toxic mold um, to be generated. So our mycotoxin exposure went up. Um, glyphosate also binds minerals. So it depleted what was left of the mineral supply in our soil, made our soil basically worthless. And then uh, when we consumed the glyphosate, it destroyed good gut bacteria. So allergies went up, asthma went up, autoimmune disease went up, autism went up, cancer went up, infertility went up, Alzheimer's went up. All of these you can track along with the introduction of these things to our food. Um, Crohn's and ulcerative colitis are also associated with glyphosate exposure. Um, genetically modified soy is, um, is also very estrogenic. So soy is estrogenic in general. And if you're going to consume soy, it should be organic fermented soy um, so that that is well balanced. Um, what happened when they when they started using the Roundup Ready uh, crops is that the um, is that the weeds that they were trying to prevent became resistant to the Roundup. So the amount of Roundup they used had to go up. And then the weeds became resistant and the amount of Roundup had to go up. So we're stuck in this vicious cycle of ever increasing amounts of glyphosate in our food supply. Um, there was a study in France on genetically modified corn. It was done on rats. The rats developed kidney failure, liver failure, mammary tumors, infertility, a three times higher mortality rate 
pituitary damage, endocrine dysfunction, and sex hormone balance issues. If you've never um, seen it, if you Google, well, you probably can't Google, you might have to use the Brave, um, the, the Brave browser because Google is so censored now, but you can look up um, France GMO corn rat study, and you can, you can look at the rats. The, they couldn't even walk. The tumors were so large and so grotesque. Um, what happened with that study is the people who did it, did it under absolute secrecy. They didn't announce that they were going to do it. They didn't tell anybody they were doing it. They didn't talk to anybody about it. Um, they lied about what they were doing. They wanted to hide it because Monsanto and big food is, is very powerful. And people who had tried to study it in the past had been blackballed or um, decommissioned, had their grants removed, um, you know, had things retracted from the um, from the scientific journals. So they finished the study and published it in um, this in a scientific journal. And the journal, after the publication, the journal hired a new associate editor of biotechnology who demanded that the study be retracted um, because he said the findings were inconclusive. The most recent former employer of that associate editor was Monsanto. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. So um, I love science and I'm a firm believer in the scientific method, but scientific journals are co-opted. Um, you're not going to find legitimate, true, unbiased science in large science, scientific journals anymore. Um, so you can find them, but you're not going to see them in journals. You're not going to see them on the news. You're not going to see them posted prominently because all of that has been censored. And the the good research, the research, the large studies, many people, long, you know, years, that's incredibly expensive. And it is funded by the companies that benefit from those studies showing what they're supposed to show. So I'll, I'll give you an example. In the pharmaceutical industry, when a pharmaceutical company presents a drug to the FDA, they are not in any way required to provide raw data from their scientific um, excursion from the, from the study. They only present their conclusion they're, they present their paper, no raw data, which means the FDA does not in any way confirm that what they said was true. We have seen so many cases of the COVID vaccine is one of them. They hid so much information from the American public and the FDA. The FDA, FDA knew about some of it, but they didn't know about all of it. Um, it's not a requirement of the process. And the FDA itself is funded by the companies that submit for their drugs. That's where the revenue comes from. It's application fees and licensing fees and that kind of stuff. So of course, they're not gonna turn down a bunch of unsafe drugs, right? They're gonna turn down a few unsafe drugs um, and the other drugs are gonna get through. The same problem with big chemical, Monsanto, Bayer, these are very powerful companies um, with a lot of money and lobbyists. And when you look at the FDA, the people at the top, it's a revolving door between the big 
chemical company, the big pharmaceutical company. They'll work for the FDA for a while. They'll get a nice, cushy executive job in pharmaceuticals. They'll come back and do some stuff with the FDA. It's a complete open door policy. Um, and they typically don't uh, report their biases. They don't report their conflicts of interest um, because only certain conflicts of interest are required to be announced. So um, it's a really, this is why many other countries have banned things that we have not banned and will not until someone disassembles the FDA and does it a different way. Um, I think it's completely irredeemable at this point. Okay, so we talked about glyphosate alters nutritional nutrition of the plants. Oh, glyphosate also impairs your sulfate metabolism in the body. Remember, remember sulfur and sulfate pathways and how important those were. Um, and then we talked about all that. Yep. All right, so let's talk about real life attempts to avoid the garbage. <laughs> As we, we all live in the real world. We're not going to avoid it all. Did you guys hear that um, the government is cracking down on micro farms? Yes. Like they're raiding the farms of the Amish. They're raiding the farms mm -hmm. of, yeah. Mm -hmm. They don't even want us to grow our own food anymore. Mm -hmm. So we talked about the clean 15 dirty dozen. I was I was shocked. What? Clean fifteen dirty dozen is a document that you can find online on environmental working group. And it tells you it tells you which products are safe to eat non-organic and which ones you would want to eat organic. And also cleansers and body lotions and lotions. Right. Right. Everything. Um, so that helps you budget. Right, because all organic is really expensive. You can also go to farmers markets and get to know your farmers. Um, like the the market in Royal Oak is wonderful. There's lots of good farmers there. Um, it's a bit of a drive, but it's totally worth it. And um, it costs a lot of money to get the organic label, right? And the smaller farms can't really afford to pay yearly to maintain the organic label. Um, but some of them will let you come to the farm and see what they do, and they'll tell you about their processes. And many of those um, products are so much better than the organic stuff you get in the grocery store. So I would highly recommend buying your food local. Of course, you could also grow it. But I know not everybody's going to do that. Not everybody has a passion for growing stuff. Um, but you could definitely buy local and, and that supports the people that we need to be in business, right? When you buy from them, um, you can also find, um, online, you can find, um, shares where you can pay the farmer on a monthly basis or a three month basis. Yeah. And you get, you know, you get boxes of stuff from the farmer that makes the farmer's life more financially stable because they have a steady income coming in. Um, and you know that you're going to get good produce, mm -hmm. um, produce and eggs and meat and whatever. I used to know the name of the, there's a big website that does that. And do you know what it is? Um, I've forgotten what it is. Yeah, I haven't been on that in so long. Hmm. 
Anyway, if you just look up co-ops mm -hmm. or look up farmer shares or um, it's it's on the internet, they're all mm -hmm. over the place. Let's see. So we want to get um, antibiotic and hormone-free meats. Again, my, my best recommendation is um, local, but you can't always get it local. Um, if it's tagged antibiotic and hormone-free, that sometimes doesn't mean it actually is. Like for example, um, Sanderson Farms, anybody heard of Sanderson Farms? I don't think the chicken ever made it up this far, but it was huge in the South. And they um, went, they had this commercial campaign where they announced that their chicken was antibiotic free, completely antibiotic free. Well, my son was working uh, with an owner of a farm that supplied the chicken. It was only antibiotic free for the last six weeks mm -hmm. before they came to harvest the chickens. Mm -hmm. It was not antibiotic free. It was mm -hmm. just antibiotic free for the last six weeks. Mm -hmm. So there are lots of loopholes, which is unfortunate, but you do the best that you can. Um, avoid processed prepackaged foods. Those aren't good for you anyway. Get your lunch meats and processed meats if you consume them with celery juice instead of nitrate nitrites. Make your own seasonings at home. Many, many, many of those seasoning blends have MSG. And it's cheaper to just make your own anyway. Read labels. Switch to glass or stainless steel. My problem with um, not letting my water bottle get hot, my plastic water bottle get hot, and typically I drink out of cans. The only reason I have a bottle tonight is because I didn't have any cans and I was thirsty. Um, I drink out of cans because I don't want the plastic. And the reason I don't want the plastic is I had no idea what happened to it before I got it. Um, it arrived at Walmart in the back of the store and some guy sat on it and smoked for an hour. And, you know, just, we have no idea if it got hot before it came to us. So I would just avoid um, drinking from plastic water bottles on a, on a consistent basis, uh, hot or not. Well, even just like buying apple juice in a plastic container is absorbing the plastics. Especially apple juice because it's a little bit acidic oh. and anything that's acidic breaks down those um, those compounds faster. Like, um, like in ketchup. Right. Remember when ketchup used to be in glass? I know. No, it's all in plastic. I know. So frustrating. Um, avoid nonstick pans. So nonstick pans are a source of heavy amounts of fluoride. Um, they off-gas fluoride when you cook with them. And the stuff that makes them nonstick eventually ends up in your eggs, right? Yeah, starts flaking off. Uh, so it's off-gassing fluoride even when it's still in good shape, but once it starts flaking off and you start consuming it, you're getting a lot of chemicals a lot of chemicals. So you would want to use copper, stainless steel, um, ceramic, you know, use natural. 
Cast iron, definitely. Love my cast iron. Um, let's see. Oh, in 2005, DuPont was fined $16.5 million for hiding the info that they had always had on the dangers of non-sick fans. They had it before they ever produced them. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Forum Health Podcast. Forum Health is the first nationwide network of integrative and functional medicine providers. To learn more about this topic and to find a Forum Health provider near you, visit forumhealth.com.